Hey everybody, welcome to this week's episode of the Liberty Squadron Podcast. My name is Angela Lewinsky and this week I am joined with Jonathan Lee. Hello everyone. Chris Apple. Hi everybody. And Zach Cady. Heyo. Cool. All right. So we have a lot to talk about. It is technically our first episode of season two, as you will. Um, but we've got a lot to talk about. We took a week off. So we're back on the grind. We're back on our Sunday schedule. Game of Thrones is over. So let's jump right in with our shout outs. Zach, as you can probably see on all of our new stuff, we have our new logo. It looks pretty awesome. So great job fixing that up for us. Wasn't me. <laughs> it was a little bit of everyone. Everyone contributed. Yeah. Um, everyone career contributed to my creative vision. Sure. <laughs> Chris uh, had the idea. I had the original art. And Zach cleaned it up. So good job, everyone. Um, next, Jonathan. <laughs> you were on the <laughs> shoutouts. I, I did not put, for the record, I did not put myself in. Yeah, I threw this on here because I feel like you, you talked a little bit about your first trial, but uh, I don't know, man. Like, just a brief shout out for you for going five and one and two two consecutive trials is probably worth it. Um, I, I know Rebel Beef has a 30% chance of making the cut, but you still have to do it. <laughs> so, congrats on that. Yeah. It's pretty cool. Thank you very much. With a healthy amount of shade thrown in by Chris. <laughs> right. I mean, come on, right? Like, it's everyone's talking about it, but I, I, I still think it's cool. Uh, next, we got, we're going to thank FFG. We're going to get into this a little bit later down the uh, episode, so we won't talk too much about it right now. Um, but for giving, like, this, the world's information and what we think about that. Uh, and then next, Jonathan, Ken Cho. Yeah, I want to give a shout out to our friend Ken Cho at District Foundry. I know he had a medical emergency, uh, so um, our thoughts and prayers go out to him and to his family. Yep, uh, Ken, get better. I hope the best. Um, so yeah, everyone keep your thoughts and prayers open for him. All right, so we had our first Nationals happen, UK Nationals. Uh, Chris, you've, you've got all this data here. Let's go. Let's go through it. Yeah, sure. I'm. I'm not going to spend too much time on this section because we've got a bunch of other stuff to get to. But um, UK Nationals had 196 players, and it's a little bit funky because this is the first time we get to see what happens when when players have like prize incentives that aren't just about the cut and winning the tournament. Um, so that entire kind of like top 16 within faction uh, uh, plan from FFGs really motivating some weird things. So it, 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 looking at the, the faction breakdowns for the UK Nationals, there's a lot more of every faction, which is kind of cool. You know, like you're, essentially you're seeing 21 first order lists out of 196, which just as a point of comparison, there were, I think, five at the Seattle Open out of 136 players. So I can't imagine all 21 of those first order players would have brought that without the chance at a Kylo card, that kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, uh, I know you, you were talking about earlier that it skews some of your data that it might people might be shooting for these prizes, but uh, at, at the same time, I kind of like it that like people are um, kind of repping their factions to try to yeah. get these prizes. I mean, on the flip side of like having weird faction counts, you end up with really clear sight on like cut rates. So like twenty one first order lists were brought, one made cut, right? Um, 
because people are bringing a lot of something that might be, you know, the format. Um, so I just, you know, for the listeners to have a sense of this, there were 44 rebel lists, right, out of 196. Um, and I believe 10 made cut. And then there's 51 empire with eight. And then you walk down the list, you get to like 12 resistance lists, only one made cut. And, you know, it, it just gets kind of goofy there, right? Like if someone wants a Poe card, they don't really care about making cut. They care about making top 16 within their faction, which is it's a nice little reward. Yeah, I mean, uh, I know this might be the unpopular opinion, but I know like with L5R, the they had faction-specific prizes, but at the same time, um, the top player of those big tournaments, they got like basically not a buy or they got a invite to the cut, which I, I know might be like I mean, if like scum or resistance don't make like the top cut like it would be cool to see them still represent it into that faction or maybe even just kind of like a like a side part like where the top players of each faction might get something um altogether at minimum it changes your swiss right like that's that's what's kind of interesting about this is it like it does actually affect your swiss matchups potentially yeah um, it might not change the cut very much right just based on what we're seeing from the uk like the the things we know that are good are still winning um but actually, I mean, <laughs> I should caveat that. I should j- skip ahead to what actually won this. Um, so, so five A wings won the entire thing against uh, Luminara, Mace, and Sassy, all with seven BR two, and then I think it was Sense on Mace. Um, so that is a little bit funky that 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 specific Jedi list made it all the way to the final table. No, definitely. Um, It's really interesting seeing those two things um, coming up in the finals in the extended format. So, um, yeah, I'm surprised to see five A's winning an extended tournament. That's. I mean, it'll be interesting, definitely, to see how all these nationals do pan out. So, I mean, we got a couple more ours until the end of summer. So, Um, we got a little bit to go, and just looking at, I mean, it's crazy that something like I don't know five or four uh, Phantoms didn't pop up in the finals. So, unfortunately, we don't have a lot of access to Europe data, which is kind of right. It's kind of it's tricky, but they like they're not allowed to include names and stuff or whatever. So, we usually only get whatever gets posted on Facebook and some other spots. Oh. Um, but, you know, all of our opens we get plenty. So, Seattle we should touch on very briefly. That just ended. Um, Daniel Taylor won with Rebel Beef against Andrew Bunn's uh, Lone Wolf Stealth Device Soon Tier. Uh, palp shuttle and vendor list uh kind of a more traditional sort of system open an extended tournament from what we've been seeing um i won't go through all kind of the faction results um but there were a couple of interesting lists that showed up there was a uh, four t70 resistance list that i think made it all the way to top four which is kind of badass um that just it was essentially pava and then i think three red t70s um which is all kind of mid-initiative and doesn't have too many tricks besides the T-70 style line, right? So maybe a sign of things to come with the Resistance faction, right? I don't know I don't know how they're going to um, deal with decreasing the A-wings and improving everything else, but need, need to see that. It's a pretty pretty basic list. Um, and then the other list that, that kind of caught my eye was uh, Arbel, Jake, Y-Wing, and like I think Crack and Blount list, which is, you know, d- didn't even include leia in there um pretty pretty generic little rebel list that did really well 
No, that's definitely something interesting that, like, uh, you see some of these cards that are, like, auto-include, and maybe, like, sometimes they don't need to be auto-include, if that makes sense. Well, yeah, so, like, as a as an aside, I think Blair Monkey brought his usual Z95 stuff, and he, he took a U-Wing, and I don't even think he included uh, Leia on it. Or he yeah. may not have had a U-Wing. Whatever it was, he didn't even include Leia in his list. Um, which is, you know, I think it just goes to show that, like, if they're going to point increase Leia like crazy, let's say they drive that up to, like, eight points or whatever. Um, we've, we've talked about this on previous episodes, but I, I just can't see any scenario where Rebel Beef goes away entirely. Um, it's like it's the faction's theme, and it's like every ship within the faction sort of fits within that mold. Um, it's just going to stick around. So that uh, Rebel list that was three A wings, a Y wing, and two Z ninety fives. I I have to look it up on List Fortress, but I think it had it had uh, Arvel and and Jake. Um, take a quick look here. Yes, yeah, so it was Arvel, Jake, Blount, Aaron, and uh, Nora Wexley in a Y wing. Okay. That was the list. I guess I mean the A wings don't benefit from they don't really need Leia nearly as much, you know, with their dials. True. And so I guess I Leia is less important much less important if you're flying A wings. Yeah, I mean you still the, the weird thing with A wings is they like once they get in close they kinda have to disengage, which can be kind of frustrating. But they're already a lot of times they're stressed anyways. Um I don't know. I don't expect that this list is going to turn into anything. It just sort of caught my eye because it was a non-traditional beef list, right? Sure. There's basically doesn't. There's no beef here. It's just a bunch of things that die very quickly. <laughs> um, okay. So real quick, I, I before we cut into what I really want to talk about this though, with Dan Taylor uh, winning, this is his second back-to-back system opens that he's gone to the finals and won the second final he's been in. Um, I really kind of like want to bring up a subject of like, do you think this guy is, so if you don't know who Dan Taylor is, he is, I want to say like two or three times world Imperial assault champion. Um, do you think this is something like, like someone that who just kind of sees the matrix of the game and like, there's a reason why he has popped up twice in back to back championships and like, is he going to become a name for himself? Like coming up in the next couple months i so he, he brought the same list to the back-to-back opens um it's it's incredible first of all that he made final table twice right he's, he's obviously running a solid list i it would be interesting to see you know if he if he stays kind of at this level of of competitive kind of results uh after this list changes i haven't really followed anything too closely with his other tournament results but He's clearly really good. Like this is Imperial Assault Paul Heaver, right? So he, he kind of understands miniature games. He clearly understands the meta game. Um, you know, it's it's tricky. Like without watching all of his games, you can't really say, well, was he making clear good decisions along the way? Uh, the finals are always tough, right? Because it's like the end of a long day, and both players typically are making some mistakes. Um, so I, I I think a lot, you know. What you said there, right? Is it going to become kind of a mainstay? I mean, he, he made back-to-back finals, so probably. Yeah, like like I said, I mean, I, I think just knowing his history, that like, I don't think it's any coincidence that he, you know, is this mind of his is just going from basically world champion of Imperial Assault to winning system opens in X Wing. Um, 
which kind of says something about the game. Like it's sometimes you just have to make the right decisions and the right lists. And uh, if there's one thing I know about Dan is that he doesn't always take the most meta list to get there. Like, I mean, sure he's running rebel beef, but at the same time, like he's kind of one of those guys that just will take something different to throw people off guard. And uh, I definitely think he's a name to look out for in the next couple months. Um, and see where he goes. Sure. I I mean, really, the only thing interesting about this for me is, like, the concept of how other miniature games transition to X-Wing. Um, he's, he's just, in, in my mind, he's any other player, any other quality player. But that the concept of moving from, you know, any minis game and having the kind of target priority stuff all sorted out, that's interesting to me. Sure. Go ahead, John. I was going to say, uh, he was in my... Uh... Vas- uh, pod in the X-Wing Vassal League, and he went 6-2, and two, and he ran Poe Han, so a very different list. And uh, so, you know, I think he definitely has... I'm sure we'll be hearing more from him in the future. Yeah. What I'm saying is we have to snatch him before the crates turn him into a crate. Uh, <laughs> I don't think we have that choice. Nah, he's on the West Coast. Yeah, I mean, we're not... <laughs> We don't matter. Well, Bun, Bun is a crate, so right. So he beat a crate. Does that turn him into a crate, or is he? I'm not sure how it works anymore. <laughs> What's <laughs> hit? What's Was he bit by a crate? Uh, now we're getting into some weird stuff. All right, let's move on to. I'm pretty sure that's how you become a crate. You get bit by one. In <laughs> real war, I, I don't know what we're talking about anymore. Um, all right, so this is your fault, Andrew. I blame you. I know. Entirely. I know. Well, hey, just getting back to Seattle, right? Um, w- w- one of the things I did want to mention is that there was like a whole smattering of weird scum lists that were there and did okay, hit four or five wins. Um, so there was plenty of Ketsu, which we knew was already good, but Ketsu Cavill Old T went six zero. Um, there was even a Ketsu Guri with Sirisu list that went four and two. Um, so we don't have to spend a ton of time on that, but I, 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 I thought it was, I guess we're going to talk about the VCX in a little bit. And, um, it looks like Ketsu sort of inhabiting this space of being a jousty thing that doesn't die very quickly. Um, and in the Lancer's case, it's a little bit of a control piece. So if you have a chance to actually watch, um, I think there was a, a Ketsu Cavill old team matchup versus the A-Wing list that I was describing might go up on gold squadron. But you can see the tricks that Ketsu brings to the table and how much it swings games to take a ship and put it on a rock and then, you know, basically, you know, entirely change the, the, the engagement that, that, that was there. Um, so, you know, I, I know we've talked about how the Lancer may or may not be useful, but Ketsu clearly is. Right. And I th- want to let everyone, like, take a sec- second and think about that because... I mean, it really hasn't popped up in any major tournaments, and then out of nowhere it pops up, like, all this, like, what, four or five times, like, right off the bat making results. Um, why do you think that is, like, out of nowhere that we see Ketsu and then out of nowhere? Uh, it's, it's not really out of nowhere. This the, this specific Ketsu archetype and list has been around for a couple of weeks. It was, like, an old para kind of... Right, put, I, I've been hearing about this. Right, so, I mean, this is this isn't the first time that Ketsu's done well. Old para put this list together to deal with phantoms and it did um and it you know basically just eats some aces alive and is at i5 um the key is that mall crew is on ketsu that's the key to it in, in my mind the rest of it is like it really doesn't matter um the title obviously is important but i i 
you know, we'll get into it with the VCX, but the bottom line for me is that if you have a ship that's at a high enough initiative and a high enough HP that it gets to shoot two extra times per game, then you have a better chance of getting value out of those points. So, you know, I'm not, I, I don't really care about jousting math and any of that. It, that doesn't matter to me. Um, but just the concept of having a high HP to agility ship that's also at I-5, I feel like those two things individually earn you an extra shot per game. And that's probably not the worst thing, um, which is why we're seeing Ketsu instead of Asajj, right? So that's 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 my main takeaway, right? Is it's like, like it's a force modifier on an I five ship with a lot of HP. Maybe it has a use case. It won't be the way that we traditionally remember a Lancer, but if it's going to have to joust, maybe it can can do it with those pieces. Sure, and I, I think. Um... One of the things to really look at is every one of these lists also had the Shadowcaster title on it. Um, so we kind of saw the oppression with quad jumpers and how tractor beams really affected the game when they were around. And, and it might have some, like, you know, um, mainstay with that too. Like, if Asajj is shooting first and everything underneath of it is then shooting at a lower agility, like, that's kind of huge because there isn't that much defensive modification out there like it, it definitely is yeah. going to be helping absolutely and this is the kind of list that'll only get better as you decrease costs of scum ships around it right yeah. so you know it's it's uh that that control element is massive and then you know if you start to like right now the, the list started as ketsu ulti and talon bane so imagine a timeline where you don't have to bring talon bane right <laughs> like that that's going to become a lot more useful or Talonbane just gets better. That's <laughs> in a different episode. We will talk about that. Yes, now. a future episode. Um, cool. I, uh, that's that's all I had on Seattle. I mean, congrats to Daniel for for winning. And um, you know, the list fortress is pop, fully populated. If people are interested, they can go look at it. Sure. Yeah, and congrats to my girl Ketsu. Woo woo! All right, let's talk about worlds for a little bit. We had some news over the past week. Um, I know there's a little bit of mixed feelings, and Marshall's not here to defend himself on those feelings, so Marshall's just wrong. I'm but, here to defend him. Uh, so I'm, I'm just like... super stoked. I'm going to get that out of the way. I've, this made me extremely happy. I'm going to hang out at Worlds for every possible day, and it's going to be a party. So I hate that's my you take. and everyone who is happy. <laughs> oh. <laughs> uh, well, well, tell us why, Zach. <laughs> tell us why you're wrong. I'll tell you why you're wrong. Now, like, Marshall and I brought this up in our own personal right, chat. Before we, before, before we get into this, why don't we go over, like, what is happening? Fine. All right, so First Worlds isn't going to be at the Game Center. It is at the Game Center, oh, I'm sorry, River Center in St. Paul, which isn't too far from Minneapolis. It's, like, right outside. Um, but on Wednesday, they're having a last chance qualifier where the top 64 players out of 400 players are getting a invite to Worlds. Um, we'll go over our opinions about that in a minute, but then Friday is day one, Thursday's... I'm sorry, Thursday is day one A, Friday is day one B, and then Saturday is the finals, um, with a bunch of side events and everything like that. Uh, so with that being said, I know there's a lot of mixed feelings on all different levels of the last chance qualifier. So Zach, take the wheel. All right. Um, my opinion and Marshall's too is I personally liked what they did with worlds of making it an invite only thing that you really had to earn your spot in. 
And I feel like this just really cheapens that. Like, I get that they want to have more people there. That's fine. I like that idea. Like, I like having X-Wing Con. That's something that everyone wants to go to. But I just don't think, like, that and Worlds have to be the same thing. I don't understand why they didn't just decide to do a big side event tournament at the same time as them doing Worlds, and then people can come play in the side event and then watch the elites of Worlds compete against each other. I just, I don't see the purpose of this other than cheapening the event. So, like, I, I kind of understand the idea of, like, if, if they had set it up as just a massive side event, then and then just even if we had gotten the news that it's going to be a separate venue that can that can you know basically accommodate everybody like that that I would have been super stoked about that anyways. Um, but you got to really think about who's going to show up to this last chance qualifier, right? Who's probably going to qualify in the first place? Like, I my guess is that this this Wednesday is going to be the hardest day of X Wing that happens at the entire tournament. Um, but basically, like all of the people who didn't get invites that maybe like today at Seattle for whatever reason were just on the outside looking in. I, I think there's going to be a pretty serious amount of... Like, I don't know that they'll fill all 400 seats, first of all, because it's a Wednesday. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if you see mostly players that were, you know, are just super tryhard. <laughs> um, right. So it's it's hard to say whether or not it cheapens it. I think that's it's, uh, it's a little bit of a stretch. And I, I, I do have to also, you know, kind of say that everything here is super crazy positive from my point of view because... Worlds has never been this, you know, like I, I know what they were trying to do by making it invite only, but it never has really been the super prestigious, like, like demonstration of skill event. It, it, for anyone who's been to Worlds, it's mostly just a party. So at least they're getting back that feeling. I'm, I'm happy to compromise them. So, you know, yeah, so. One, of the, one of the things that I want to talk about with this is like, um, like it, it was a little bit harder to get, I'm sorry, it wasn't even really that much harder to, to get an automatic Worlds invite. Um, but now it was required to have an invite to this. So it, a lot of times it did come down to luck. Um, a good friend of the show, Brett Freeman, went to a final at a regional. He lost in the regional. And, you know, it might have just been something of unlucky dice or he just was exhausted and flew something bad. And he's... Um, good enough to be at worlds no right. question right? and then you know two weeks later that um paul who you know we, we talked about is in the same exact situation he's at a final table of a hyperspace uh trial final table and he didn't you know pull out the win but he got the invite because his opponent was paul or not paul Heaver, uh duncan howard who has an automatic invite to worlds so i mean like the last chance qualifier is really cool because I think 400 people, top 64 get it. You need to go at least 5-2 and two on that day. And like Chris was saying, that is going to be one of the hardest events of the entire weekend because you're going to have everyone biting at the bit to try to get there. And I mean, I'm not dismissing anyone. 5-2 and two is going to be hard to do. Like 7 rounds of X-Wing. I believe and keep in mind, yeah. you have to do 7 rounds of X-Wing to do top 64 and then you have to play basically you know an entire another uh, separate tournament to have a chance of winning right, right. like it, if someone comes from the lcq and wins the whole thing yeah i don't know i think they probably earned it get done 
Yeah, it's gonna say. I mean, the last chance qualifier also gives people an opportunity to play in worlds, and if they come from someplace where they have no uh, FFG official FFG support, so like uh, former world champion uh, Justin Fua, like coming from Singapore, or you know people coming from Brazil or other places, you know, in previous years Brazilian players and such have come to worlds, but. This year, without the last chance qualifier, you'd have no chance to actually get the worlds, you know. And this gives them a chance to go. So I think that's a good thing. And then uh, regarding, and I think like the people who are earned an invitation to worlds, I think that's still worth a lot. If you think about using your like store championship buy at a hyperspace trial or whatever, it's nice to skip one game. But if you have an invite to worlds, you are earning a six or seven round buy basically. So, I had by, thought by, of it that way. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> if someone says, "Here, you have a this is a twelve round tournament, but if you have this invite, you can you have a six round buy." It's pretty intense. So we're all on board that Zach and Marshall are wrong. Oh yeah, hundred um, percent wrong. <laughs> but yeah. Well, so well, the one thing I heard from Zach though, and I, this is the main thing for everyone to key on, is that it being like X Wing Con is like everyone's on board with that right like what anything that would have achieved that we'd be happy with right and like that's what at least we ended up with that and it's going to be a blast there's going to be so many people there now yeah i get it being a blast but like i don't know i guess my thing too is like with jonathan's point like i agree like this is great that people that don't have official support have a chance to come to worlds now but again like it's ffg doing a bad idea to make up for their own shortcomings like, I mean, I, why does Brazil not have support? They're a big enough place. That that is a whole <laughs> different boat. That you know that missed Brazil. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, I don't think we can necessarily blame FFG for like. There's a lot going on in Brazil, and I know within the what they said on the when they announced the world is that they are actually working on it and trying to fix those the situation down there. Um, People here listening to like OCX or something like that, people like want to go to this event, not just to compete, but they want to like have a good time. And like, I get what you're saying, Zach, about like the best of the best is going to be there. But I think also at the same time, like that's what the Swiss event of Worlds is going to be. Like we know Paul Heaver and we know Duncan Howard and Nathan Eide. I'll put money that they're going to be in the cut. And like, that's what I think like Worlds really is, is like, that world's cut is the best of the best. Like, um, and at the same time, it is giving the opportunity for people to actually go and not just be a spectator, that they can go and have that chance. And it might just be that they are good enough to make that cut where you will see the best of the best X-Wing players out there. Like, I'll put money that Dan Taylor, well, he's already got it, but I, I'll put money now that he's in that cut. Oh man! <laughs> but like I said, I I think uh, this is a good idea, and if you're worried about like people sneaking in, then you're probably there. If they anyone from this last chance qualifier makes the actual world's cut, they deserve to be there. Like 100, percent they are the best of the best, and they absolutely earned that spot there. I mean, the funny thing, right, is if you if you make top sixty four on Wednesday, you earn the right to play against like everyone who already had an invite. So, I, you know, I guess it just gets more difficult from there. Right. But and the other thing though is like now we kind of 
locally need to start figuring out like who's going to go to Worlds and the whole thing, which is that's just going to be fun in its own way. Setting up a team to go to LCQ and all that. So I'm, I'm kind of hyped for that. Cool. All right, we ready to move on? Yes. All right, so uh, we're going to take a look at the VCX this week and how we're building it out, whether we think it's good. Uh, we, we know it. I think it's pretty good. Yeah, so I... I... I don't know how much time I want to take for this, but I like basically since the trials ended, um, I started to look at some different pieces of the extended card pool that might make their way into hyperspace. Uh, so that's kind of how I started looking at the VCX. So essentially, you know, I've been running Kylo, Quickdraw, and Tavson. Uh, so I started testing out Luke, Wedge, and Hera with Magva Yaro. And that was basically just taking my first order list and changing the faction, swapping some pieces out, and then just kind of messing around, right? Um, and a big part of that was like traditionally I've just hated on the VCX because it's never been anything that I found interesting. I'll just kind of say that directly, right? I don't think there was ever a build in 1.0 that I looked at and it was like, I'd want to fly that. Um, but now, essentially, you put the VCX down on the table and it's it's a zero agility super you know destructive x-wing um and it, it kind of plays a little bit like a forward shuttle without a reposition right um so i, I found a lot of similarities between it and tabson the only big difference is in harris case your i5 you can change your dial and you can do a 4k turn um so that's kind of the lead-in right that's why i started thinking about the vcx is basically like you know i i had gotten used to flying tabson with all of his restrictions and all of the things that he's vulnerable to. And then I just kind of decided to test out the Lancer and test out the VCX immediately after that. Um, that's what interests me about the VCX. I don't know if anyone cares about like the double tap turret builds, but I don't have too much detail on that. Um, well, I think has, has, John, have you tested the VCX at all? I mean, I'll, I'll get into some of my notes here in a moment, but figure it out. Uh, so I haven't played the VCX recently, so I'm sorry. I, I have been neglectful in my duties. But uh, I did play some of it in first edition, but mostly early on in first edition. What I was going to say is that, um, you know, the success of sort of double um, Sith infiltrator lists made me sort of think about the VCX more. You know, how, because they're sort of similar as like, um, you know, large base, you know, no um, primary weapon turret ships with, uh, so it made me think, if a double silencer list could be successful, then maybe a VCX based list could be successful as well. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And it, like, that's kind of where I started, right? Which is that I, I like across two trials was able to get so much value out of, you know, just an upsilon, um, but, you know, just in quotes, of course it's Tavson. So it sort of punishes everything that shoots at it. But, um, you know, you would think on paper that a ship that can't K-turn that only has a forward arc would have very limited value against anybody above Initiative 3, right? Um, because the, your opponent has so much choice and what that looks like. Uh, so, you know, just you start to expand that to a ship like the, uh, the Infiltrator that you just described um, and the VCX in this case. And, you know, you, you kind of have to look at the value of the VCX differently than we're used to. Um, you know, we're, we're nine months into 2.0, so it's best just to completely forget the past, I think. Um, FFG didn't when they made their design choices, which maybe was a little unfortunate. But I think when you look at the VCX, you look at a piece that is now 
um, you know, it's very much like the punching bag within your list. I call it the space potato. That's mostly because I'm making a dig at ghost fund builds. <laughs> um, but, but the, you know, the bottom line is that it's something you can put on the table and, and, you know, your opponent has to react to it in some way. Um, so in the Luke wedge kind of Hera build that I was running, um, I'm still not really sure where I should place feast, you know, Hera on the table to keep her options open, but at this stage, I'm basically ignoring her pilot ability, right? Um, pretty much just looking at Saw or Magva and Leia. I don't even need Leia. Um, you know, just kind of testing between those two options. And if you if you pick an edge of the board, you walk up and you just kind of you know force your opponent to either deal with it or get flanked by it. That's essentially all I ever did with Tavson. Um, it becomes a really valuable piece. And you know, then it becomes a question of where do you place uh, the VCX to to get the most out of the second and third turn because it's so easy to block. Um, so you know, like I, I have some some questions listed here, right? But it's like, like what are you what are you basically looking for from the VCX? Is it is it something that um, you know you expect to 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 be able to be like in a two ship list? Or should we completely transition to a point where it's really just another piece of the puzzle in a in a three or four ship kind of game? Um, that that's kind of that's kind of where I landed, right? Which is like expectations versus the reality of what these ships are are very different. I, mean, I think now, I mean, in um, I think now in second edition, second edition, without any ability for it to reposition, it's harder for a large base ship to be. Um, I don't want to say like the centerpiece of your list, I guess. Uh, you know, like Han, the Falcon is different in its ability to reposition. And I think that makes a big difference. Whereas like the Shadowcaster and the VCX not being able to arc dodge and avoid shots and not having sort of that defensive tankiness that it may have had before, I think it's hard for it to, it's not going to have that same role that it had previously. So I think maybe you want to keep it cheaper, keep it to a third the fact that you can fit it as like one third of your list, I think, is um, it's is a sign of where it's headed, right? Yeah. No. Yeah. So, so, so I think, I think if people have previously solved this puzzle, right, of how to play a lambda shuttle in a list, right, or how to how to play a a tie or not play the scum aggressor, right, which is kind of the big base forward ship in one point Um so yeah, as a third of your list, you start looking at it as how many shots do I need to get out of this ship for it to have been useful? And what I found is that, you know, I haven't played a ton of games, maybe six to eight. Um, but what I found is if I get like three good shots from Hera because it's of the four dice and because of the way that Saw and, and Magva kind of give you free mods, probably getting pretty good value out of it. Um, you know, if, if they... It intentionally did everything they could to arc dodge that forward arc, then I probably have some positional advantage that Wedge and Luke are are taking, you know, full control of the game with. Um, but it's as that punching bag, like you can really just afford to sort of put it out on a limb and set up K turn position. And it's a weird thing where like if your opponent starts to focus fire on the VCX, um, same thing would happen with the Upsilon. Because of the way that engagement looks, you know, you might 
you might force them to actually have to change their target priority. And then you have this like five hole remaining Hera that is has now K turned behind their list and they have to go chase down Wedge. Um, it just it gains you like four shots in the game, right? And you, that fourth shot probably means you definitely won. So, you know, it's it's it really comes down to, I guess, how comfortable people are playing a large base ship without reposition and playing the entire kind of like uh, strategic game that that we're used to of, of kind of setting up whether it's a kind of pincer maneuver on an overall list or setting up the range of, of um, that first engage so you can get the K turn, there's more to it than just kind of, and, and that maybe is why people are nervous about it, but it's, it's useful. Uh, in your uh, Luke Wedge uh, Hera list, what uh, talent slot do you have on Wedge? So I left Wedge, basically Wedge blank. There's room right. to throw swarm tactics on him. Um, I had uh, 197 points, gets you Hera with uh, Magva and Leia, and that, that's all I've been running. What, what, um, what would yeah? What would you think of dropping Hera down to Chopper and then putting Swarm Tactics on Wedge? Yeah, so I actually I tested Chopper without uh, Magva, and I gave Wedge a Torp. Um, you know, I, like, and I'm so early at this that it's like you know, some of this is probably suboptimal. Um, but yeah, there's plenty of room to to play with it, especially if you're going to use swarm tactics to guarantee the you know the third shot from Chopper. Um, the nice thing with going to the lower initiative is that the VCX has really you know got a problem with being blocked. So you know Hera, despite her pilot ability, is is very vulnerable to blocking. I think in a game against Andrew that I played on Vassal, he was you know smart enough to realize that the most useful thing Jake could do for him was just be in. Hera's way the entire time, um, so that that introduces things like advanced sensors, Zeb crew, just taking a lower initiative pilot, chopper school. Because I guess if you do that, you end up jamming the thing that blocked you. Mm -hmm. um, Zeb's interesting because you know if they if they blocked the front of you, you can shoot them with five dice, even though they can shoot you and you don't care. Um, and Zeb's only one point, so I you know the, building a giant angry X-wing with that many upgrades available to it, you can still throw a two-point dorsal dorsal turret on it. So if they arc dodgy, you still can, kind of can put in three three red dice. Um, there's so many different ways to set this thing up that I kind of can't wait to see what happens when it hits hyperspace, provided it doesn't devolve into double tap, you know, resistance or like basically double double tap cheat the peach shuttle builds, you know. Mm -hmm. um, it just feels really, really flexible up and down the line. Like even even Kanan, um, he's eighty four points right now, but there's got to be something to do with Kanan that's going to, you know, at a certain price point, be logical in a three ship list. Um, what do you think of passive passive sensors on the uh, on the Ghost? Passive sensors. So you basically, oh man, I haven't thought that through at all. So so being able to take the target lock with a lower initiative, essentially. Yeah. Yeah, or like I guess say passive sensors on. I don't even know what Kanan's pilot skill is offhand. Uh, uh three initiative. Three. three, so like passive sensors on Kanan, so double modding his. Yeah, it's a good question. Well, that actually does make some sense because you can. Kanan's probably not going to die very quickly, even at I three, because of his pilot ability. Um, and you can swarm tactics him up. I don't know. Um, right now I've just, I can't see past Magva and and, and Saw, because Magva has that magic word a sign in it 
and saw just kind of leans into what the VCX is, which is a giant dumpster fire. <laughs> so <laughs> like, I, I, yeah, I like there's again, there's so many upgrades on the damn thing that it's like, you know, even if you're only taking one or two upgrades, there's so many flexible ways to, to get to where it needs to be. So do you find when you roll up in that VCX and if you, you have magva and say you reinforce, do you find, do people choose not to shoot you because of the reinforcement yeah. magva crew? Yeah, so that's definitely happened. I, I, I follow the same policy that I do with Tapson, which is, you know, basically for the first engagement, you're going to take a focus token. And the reason you do that is, you know, you don't know. And most, if you're, if you're in Harris' case, right, your I5s, you can sort of look at the board and choose your action accordingly. Um, but at a lower initiative, you just take a focus token because you don't know what will end up in your, your arc. Um, and you want that, you know, full mod magma lock, I guess. Um, it reinforces something I look at as like, if I can't fit the K turn the following turn, um, you know, and I'm not going to be taking any shots. I just reinforce the rear and it's, you know, saves me a couple points on the way to half points. Um, but, it, you know, maybe there's a combination of crew that means you don't have to think about your, your actions at all. You just take reinforce every turn. There is. Which I'm not called, sure that sounds fun. But <laughs> There is. It's called Jake. Right. There you go. Thanks, Zach. So, like, Jake <laughs> next to this thing is coordinating a focus. That's true. Coordinate actions and, and support ships are a thing. <laughs> Um, yeah, which is like, I can't see past Luke and Wedge in Rebel List because I want to fly this, like, they, they're the coolest ships in my opinion. But like, yeah. I mean, like, so so uh, uh, if you put Jake in this list or even you put like a Jane Ors, right? You can put a Hawk 290 in here and now your VCX is throwing five dice regardless of range. That's just wrong. It gets pretty silly. Uh, just the Death Star at that point. Yeah, but I mean, like, it's the Death Star that your opponent has a choice and you know, being on that planet or not when it fires, right? <laughs> like, like that's what's so. What's, that's why I don't hate it, right? Because it's like, like if I win uh, outright with like Tabson, right, against uh, Aces list, then I, you just have to question what my Aces opponent was doing, right? Um, you know, like uh, of course, any game, there's all kinds of things that could happen, but with with these forward arcs, at least for the initial engage, they have some choices. There's no reposition that's going to happen, and particularly against Chopper things like that. Um, it really comes down to just that strategy of like pick your poison, right? Like, are you really not going to shoot at Wedge? Um, let's see what happens, right? That's kind of that's kind of where it ends up. Same as Tapson. Um, so, anything else in the VCX? I I know I kind of rambled a bit there, but it, it's just it's it's neat to you know pick up a ship that I traditionally hated on in 1.0 and like actually find you know that it's it's reasonably fun to play. So I mean it's in uh, wave five, so it's definitely yeah. it's it's definitely coming to hyperspace. I mean I can't imagine them not adding new ships to when they release a ship in a new blister. They're definitely going to add it to hyperspace. So I'm sure probably it's coming. yeah yeah more than likely. And I, think, it's the kind of thing where. Oh, go ahead, Andrew. No, I was going to say, do you think people still have PTSD of old VCXs? <laughs> and, uh... I mean, like, it's probably not terribly misplaced, right? Because I'm just. I'm playing the version of the VCX that I think is fun, and it also happens to be super useful, right? Like, and I, I, is it going to be the best VCX build when it's all said and done? I hope so. Um, but it's it's entirely possible that, like, you know, maybe there's a middle ground, right? Like a version of Hera that is good is just like Ion Turret Hera with uh, Nyan Crew, right? And then 
you basically make more use of that pilot ability. Um, it, it's there's there's something to do with the shuttle at some point. I just that's the lowest on my list to solve. Yeah, I mean, fence still exists, so who knows what might happen with that points adjustment. Yeah. Um, yeah, hopefully, <laughs> yeah, Rebel Fed does still exist. I mean, like, but he can't coordinate a boost to the VCX, right? No, yeah, so and then but he does the... he does increase his de- his defense a bit, right? I don't, yeah. I don't know. I hope mm-hmm. we never return to those days though of like Lorik and Fen supporting something like that. <laughs> and then there's not going to be a, and there's no TLT. Yeah, it's done. Yeah, but I mean, there's still like a double tap ion followed by like a five dice range one, followed by another ion, followed by a 4k turn, all with full mods and your ship not being able to do damage. Like, that's the worst timeline. Um, but like, I don't think we'll. I, my guess is it'll always be a gimmick or too expensive to be, you know, what it, what, what it used to be. I mean, I guess like if you have a turret, it's going to be like, um, like a shadow caster, like having like a forward turret and then being able to set your turret upgrade. I mean, a forward firing arc and being able to set your turret to the side. It's like the old, like the shadow caster. Yeah. You know, and that's good. I mean, that, I mean, it's powerful. And then I guess it all depends on the, the cost of veteran turret gunner. Yeah. Among other things, right? Like what, what happens if they decrease the cost on uh, Ezra gunner, right? Um, I, like there's a couple of different crew that they might mess with as they increase the cost on rebel beef, which is sort of funny because I guess the VCX is like the definition of beef or starch. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's a bad joke, but like you get you get where I'm going. Like to your point, like the dorsal turret's just two points, right? So you just throw that on like there, and it's it's that entire problem that Tavson stresses about, where it's like, oh shit, something's behind me. I'm not gonna be able to turn and and, and shoot at it. Like the dorsal turret just means, well, you know, you arc dodge, but I'm still, I still have a chance at maybe getting half points on a ship, um, and that that could, you know, be huge. Um, so like the ion turret, I, they 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 probably won't decrease cost on that any further, right? It's already at four. No, I can't imagine like going. If it's not going up, it's not going down. <laughs> yeah, um, I, I guess the big picture thing here is like looking at a ship through the lens of um, the role that it plays, how it fits into an archetype, right? And all the things that it has for its cost that other reasonable things like it don't have, right? And it's like, like it's a little bit too wordy there, but you, you, like basically looking at the VCX through the lens of the K-turn, um, its cost for its initiative, right? It's, it's stat line. Um, and then, you know, the upgrades that it can equip... I think you just start to feel less negative about it. So, like the Lancer inhabits a similar space, and I think we we touched on it with Ketsu, right? But it's sort of like a ship that everyone's been kind of down on. Um, but part of that, I think, is just expectation not not looking at the ship that we have, right? Um, and and not seeing like you know not seeing what is easy about it, right? That that is like you know can actually be functional in your list. Sure. So yeah. I, we can move on, but I, that's that's all I had really on the VCX. I'm going to be list building with it for sure. Yeah, no, I think the VCX is going to be a powerhouse uh, as soon as it drops into hyperspace. So, I think you broke the game with Jan and Hera. Just just saying. <laughs> uh, I mean, hey man, t- the Moldy Crow title is like 18, right? So yeah, but you... Hera, Jan, Braylon all fit in with Nia Num, Saw Gerrera, Leia Organa, and Moldy Crow with points to spare. 
there are I lots mean, of upgrades available. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think with that, though, it, it really just comes down to the damage race. It's going to be one of those things of stuff's going to die, and you're just going to have to figure out the order priority on that. Because, um, I mean, Jan, I mean, granted, she's going to have mods probably for defense, but, I mean, that's sitting behind, what, five health? Um, yeah, I you know, like, Janor is just a weird ship, right? Because it's like... What's his name? Kevin has been running uh, Fat Han with Janors. Just like that's he's been running it with not much bid, I don't think. Um, but but like just like a five, it, it raises a whole bunch of questions, right? Which is you start to look at the VCX right now, and eventually you just ask yourself, why isn't this Han? Like why am I not I six with trick shot and just boosting or something? Like um, that's where we are right now. In July, it's probably going to be the opposite, where it's like uh, Han's been increased just enough that like. This should just be Hera. <laughs> this um, is just Hera. <laughs> so. All right, let's move into our next topic. We are going to talk about blocking. Um, just a little bit of our, like, analysis uh, going into, like, just some of the basics of the game. Uh, but I'm going to throw this over to Zach because he was adamant in having us do this this week. Yeah, I was. All right, take control. All right. So, yeah, blocking. What is it? Why does it not exist anymore? Should it come back? Let's talk. It super right. exists. <laughs> it super exists. But it. So, story time. Back to ye old days of 1.0. Back when I was first really getting into like the competitive side of X Wing was right around the time that Fat Han and three Z95s was a thing. And in that time, the Z95s existed solely to get in the way of things. That was their only point in the list. Han did all the work. And it was great. I liked doing that a lot. Then towards the end of 1.0, that kind of died. Like, looking around, like, part of it was the damage race. Part of it was how much damage could be put out and vaporize a Z95 in one turn from one shot. Um, So they kind of died away. And then here in 2.0... They still weren't really a thing until Republic came out and no one knew what to do with the torrents except, oh yeah, block. So I guess I kind of want to like start talking about that a little bit about why why blocking went away as like a go-to thing in a list besides, you know, if this isn't to say like, you know, you can't block with any ship. Any ship can be a blocker at any moment. But there's a big difference between that and specifically taking ships to be blockers in your list. Right. Yeah, so I think a big part of that is, in 2.0 at least, it comes down to the way that initiative still works, right? Um, but there's definitely, like, so the Torrents are a really clear example because they're fantastic blockers. Um, I think recently we've seen uh, Sense Vader with Soontir and, and three academies um, make the rounds at a couple of trials. Yep. And in that list, like those academies with with sense, you know, supporting them, they are there for one reason, and that is to, you know, set soon set soon tier invader up for haymakers, right? Um and that it's like it's kind of cool. Like it's it's just it's a it's an interesting um kind of approach to an entire list where that is not just like an afterthought. It's not just filler. It's actually integral to the way that the list functions and the list doesn't function without you, you actually landing some blocks Sense, I think takes away a little bit from some of the charm 
just like uh, Intel scouts in, in 1.0 were sort of, to me, there's nothing interesting about that. Um, knowing where your opponent is before you block them sort of takes away from the uh, the accomplishment a bit. Uh, but but the, the whole concept, though, that you laid out there is still, it's still very much alive against like non-force users, that kind of thing, right? Well, it's starting to become alive again. It's taken us a little bit in 2.0 to really come back around to it. But I, once I got thinking about it this last week, like I'm shocked it's taken this long for it to really kind of come back because actions are far more precious in 2.0 than they were in 1.0 and anything yeah. that you can do to like action denial your opponent seems like a really good idea off the top of my head yeah it's sort of funny right because like republic sort of made this more visible and then at the same time republics is representative of like you know there's a couple of things in 2.0 that mitigate um blocking so i yeah. just I kind of I'll blitz through those real quick, but it's force charges, it's passive mods, it's coordinate, it's uh, target locks from prior rounds, it's pre-movement reposition, which FFG is thankfully hunted down. It's kind of pre-movement dial selection, Hera, Han, and Boba all being kind of terrible examples of that. And then now it's gas clouds, which are like the worst thing possible for you know board control. Um, but it's not like not every single ship has those, right? And some of those yep. are earned. Like unspent target locks are like you kind of earn that. So I, I I think there's huge value in blocking um, still, and it, it might be interesting to get into a little bit of like the I don't know, like the specifics of blocking. Like why why do you what does blocking get you? I know like it might be self evident to like us and to more experienced players, but like why does it matter? So yeah, so blocking matters for a few reasons. First off, action denial, like we just said. Actions are at a premium in 2.0, so anything you can do to deny your opponent actions is inherently a good thing. A tokenless ship is a dead ship, or a severely wounded ship at the very least. The second thing is it creates, like, we've talked a bit about heat maps before, right? Kind of using blockers to control heat maps on the board can mean a lot to certain, you know, aces, more glass cannony type ships, that sort of thing. That if you can block off a section of the board from your opponent getting to, or if they can get to there, they're getting blocked and not having tokens when they fire at you, gives you an extra you know, bit of survivability there as well. So I, like, I think what you're describing there is it's, there's the very specific I move my ship into the space that your ship is going, right? Yep. And you smash into me. I blocked you. Great, right? But then blocking also is like blocking options. So if you just block, you know, a space to boost or barrel roll, yep. Um, in my mind, that still kind of counts, right? Because you're sort of you're you're inhabiting space that they need critically to win. Um, which is more relevant against like advanced sensors Gurry, which is a, like a serious problem if you're you're moving before it. Um, but if you can block like an advanced sensor Gurry barrel roll option. Um, you know, with some asteroids around, like that counts in my mind. That's a win. It's not. It's not as visceral as like smashing into them, right? Yeah. Um, but that it, it's it's sort of similar concept. Yep. Yeah. And for certain lists, like the Ocho, the uh, eight Federation drones. Oh like, God. That's part of what they live off of, right? Like get enough ships around another ship and deny it any repositioning ability. Um, yeah. So like when I was running all those strikers before. Um, I literally could not win games if I didn't catch aces on multiple blocks a game. 
right? Like, like it wasn't enough just to catch one. Yep. Um, it had to be multiple. That was like part of its win condition at lower initiative, right? Yep. Yeah, definitely. And that's one of the things also like thinking of back a couple episodes ago when we talked about, you know, as an ace player, how to defeat aces that have the initiative on you. And the answer is blocking a lot of the time. Like if you can get a few good blocks in a game, then you can turn that game around against higher initiative ships or ships that have the initiative against you. Yeah. And it gets super interesting, right? Because there's like, there's some blocks are more valuable than others. Like you can block people off the board. You can block people onto rocks or debris. You can block people as they're K turning. So they actually stress and now they're not, you know, they're, they're, they're forced to be out of combat a couple of turns. Like those are things that are either some of the most rewarding moments possible in the game, right? Because you you don't get there without like out thinking your opponent and knowing where they're going. Yep. Which leads us into kind of second bit of this, which is like, how do you go about thinking about blocks? Um, and for me, it's always kind of been two major things that you just have to practice on. One is obstacle placement, or at least knowing where you want to maneuver amongst where the obstacles were placed, right? Like if you've got two rocks, two big asteroids at range one of each other, then that's a prime place to stick a ship in between them. And you've blocked off essentially almost range two across for a ship to try and go. That's kind of the first thing. Second thing is knowing your opponent's dials. This is something that, I don't see it happen actually as much as I feel like it should. Thinking back to like last week's question, I can't remember which question it was, but the only thing that I feel like new players don't do enough, ask to see your opponent's dial. Have an idea of where they're going or pull up the dial on your phone. I personally, even at my level, I pull up dials on my phone all the time when I'm playing against someone. So I have some idea of where their ship's going the next turn. Yeah, no, absolutely. We touched on that a little bit in like how to beat aces moving after you that episode yep. um but it's yeah absolutely it's if you don't know your opponent's style you can't block them it's just not possible so um and then i like i, I the rock placement part is really interesting right because you're sort of with enough ships you're kind of setting the area where you might have the opportunity for blocking right like that's kind of yep. um which which leads into a whole bunch of interesting things like you know, the most sometimes the most interesting thing about X-wing is just figuring out how your ship move ships move in relation to each other. Um, yep. So your example of like Z95s and Han, it's actually kind of like weirdly awkward, right? Because Han is boosting around and doing all this stuff, and the Z95s just move and then they're there, and then they maybe barrel roll. <laughs> um, so like knowing how your ships move together is also pretty integral to this, because um, you don't you know you don't want to be in a situation where you're blocking yourself. <laughs> That's kind of that's kind of part of the issue, um, yep. And you also don't want to be not denying yourself critical shots, like that's that's a significant problem, right? Where if you overblock, you don't take shots that you need to take. Yeah, definitely. And actually, one person that I'd like to hear some more about blocks from is uh, Jonathan. Yes, who is pretty good at setting them up with his four ship lists. I would... How do you go about thinking about blocks? Well, uh. So I think of, so when whenever I'm putting my dials down, I think of where I want to be. And then I think of everything. Then I try to think of where my opponent would go. And then I think, how can I mess up my opponent's moves? And then sometimes 
when things I, I end up getting caught in loops, like thinking they know that I know that I know that they know this, <laughs> you know? So sometimes that can, I get stuck in these loops sometimes with that, but uh, I just try to uh, think of where does my opponent want to go and how can I disrupt what they want to do? And although I have flown a lot of like rebel beef over this whole season, since the last hyperspace trial, actually the only other than one time flying a Republic list, the four Fang fighters is actually the only thing I put on the board in the last month. And uh, moving at I one, I like, I think about where do I, where can I put my ship to get in their way as best as possible? Um, you know, and in that situation, like the boost in the I want on the Fang Fighter is your friend because it lets you get into lots of great spots and you can build really great kill boxes that unfortunately an opposing Fen Rao can just boost out of. Speaking of personal experience flying against Zach, but uh, <laughs> it was like the most beautiful three Fang Fighter kill box and Fen landed right inside it and then just boost and he was gone. So, but that's the reward thing, right? Like, it is really, really hard sometimes to catch uh, Ace on a block. Like, even if you know where they're going, like, and you you think you've sighted it, um, it the worst feeling is when it's off by like a millimeter or a nub. You know, it's like ah, well, oh well. <laughs> yeah, that's the point that I was going to bring up too. Listen, to Jonathan, I feel like one of the things that for me feels so great about setting up the right blocks is like it's the ultimate thinking man's game. Like Jonathan said, you like go in these like cartwheels in your own head of, I know where I would go if I was them, but do they know that I know where I would go if I was them? And then once you actually get it off, it feels so good. Those are the best moments in X-Wing though, right? Like that's like why I play the game is for those like 50-50s where we don't know which which side is correct. Um, and even like just or like you don't even know how much information your opponent actually has. Are they thinking about the same things as you? All of that. Um, yeah, I get it. So, but but I guess uh, Jonathan, just one quick question on the Rebel Beef list. Um, sure. How how often did you find that the U wing was blocking? Because in, in my mind, the U wing is like I've had games against it where it just permanently blocks my my upsilon, which is yeah. you know uniquely a problem. But... Like once that Ewing is sort of in the scrum, it, it's really good at just sort of staying where it is and still being able to get shots off, being able to rotate. So uh, being able to close its um, its uh, wings and then rotate. And having Leia and being able to do that multiple times, like twice in a row, is really super powerful. So I find like you can get that Ewing in... Because um, like even Cassian moves at three... And then before people flew Cassian, flying like the um, the I the partisan renegade, and then the blue squadron pathfinder at I one and two, you would often be moving in front of, before other things, and you could just get it in the way. And then they don't know. And then being able to rotate and stay in spot was really super helpful. Uh, and then also being able to coordinate barrel rolls to your friends so that they wouldn't like your B wing friends, so they don't ram into you. Is also super helpful. So I think, yeah, the B wing can be can it does a really good job of taking. Not only does it take up space, but it can also still remain relevant and get shots. Whereas other blockers sometimes take up space, but then they don't shoot. Right. Yeah, and like you have this weird problem with any medium or large base ships, where when you start using those as blockers, they have like a higher chance of being just in a bad spot for you. <laughs> um, 
which is like you want to block your opponent, but you kind of don't want to bump yourself more than you need to. Um, and makes then, sense. I mean, the rebel beef with the it's passive mods, you know, or it's like stress based mods. It's if your B wings don't get actions, that can often be okay. Like if they're stressed from the previous turn, you can like leave them stressed. Or what I found I would do a lot is um, if one of my ships is stressed. So say Tenum or Braylon is stressed and they're moving forward and I want them to stay stressed and I know they're going to bump, I would dial in like a 2k turn knowing it would bump and it turns into a 2-white forward and they just do a 2-white forward. Yeah. Because the 2-forward on a B-wing dial is blue. And sometimes you just want to keep the stress, so you dial in a K turn, which is kind of ridiculous. It's funny sort of thinking of it. You're you're my kind of guy. (laughs) I did that a lot at PAX. Yeah. So, like, you deliberately dial in the red move while you're stressed to so, do the two white forward. And that, that's also really useful on any pre-movement, um, you know, kind of reposition ship that can stress itself. So I, I've done that with Kylo in the past. Um, so that actually raises an entire topic around, you know, we've been talking so far about blocking your opponent to deny them mods. Um, sometimes you move into a spot, you intentionally bump into your opponent's ship, either so they can't shoot you, or just to set up, you know, board position. And that's, you know, that's obviously very different than bumping, but it's sort of a similar thing where you you maybe are moving after them and you have to predict where they will go so you hit them. <laughs> um, and it can't be via reposition, right? So, like, that's that's sort of that, that changing a K-turn into a two-forward can be a MOV-preserving move. Um, but for an ace, it might also be a way of like, if your ace only has like two speed maneuvers, you don't want to end up in front of something that's going to shoot you, right? Um, so it can just be a way of stalling. I think we talk mostly about stalling, like uh, stalling a land shuttle against your own list to set up arcs, but stalling also can be self bumping into your opponent's list as long as you can predict it. So yeah, so we touched on the Ewing. Chris, you touched a little bit on um, your TIE Reaper. And yep, advanced Dalarons is amazing for this. It's like it makes it so much easier. <laughs> so, what are some other ships that we think are amazing blockers? I know you had highlighted one in Empire that I want to talk about, Chris. Yeah, well, so um, the the tie interceptor, I think, is you know essentially the fact that it can double reposition um, at lower initiatives. It has the the ability to be a, a really useful blocker. Um, a-wings sort of inhabit a similar space, right? Not the resistance A-wing for the most part, but um, just the, the the concept of like it's it's tough because they're so low health that any small mistake they're they're a little bit too expensive to be you know brought in that way at the moment because you need them to shoot. Um, so they have that kind of inverse problem. But double reposition is a good way to be a blocker. Yeah, I tend to agree. I, I think. Initiative one interceptors might have a heyday at some point. There were a few guys back in 1.0 that were using interceptors that way as both a blocker and still getting a three dice shot off as opposed to bringing TIE fighters. Right. And it's this like, like I, I prefer the striker just because of the way it moves, but like the interceptor is actually better at precise location, right? Like it's significantly better because you get, you can just adjust a little more. Um, you know, after you've done your move, it's it's easier to process. Yep. Uh, 
what's the other one though? Like the gunboat, I think we had listed here. I got to like shout that out because it's the gunboat and the K-wing are, are ridiculous blockers. And there's nothing more satisfying than like a th- like a, th- a three speed three bank block with a gunboat from like the other side of the board. It's it's three point shot of blocking. <laughs> yeah, that's the one that I wanted to bring up. I think gunboats. I hadn't particularly wrapped my head around this until you'd listed it out here for us to talk about. That actually, like, a gunboat is a really good blocker in an Imperial list. Most Imperial things are designed to go really fast. And the gunboat can, like you said, can get across the board out of nowhere and become a blocker. Setting up some pretty interesting kill shots for things like Suntirfell or Vader, who are, you know, five straighting in also kind of out of nowhere. Right. It's particularly effective against big base ships because it's it's much easier to cite that. Um, but I, I, I've only really run gunboats in like the five gunboat format, um, basically just five with barrage rockets. And that's a list where like one of those gunboats on every game and every engagement is is the blocker. Like that is his job so that like four barrage rockets can be shot at something with no mods. Um so it leads to like funny things where like maybe you put a slightly different upgrade on the thing that you want to be the blocker, but then your opponent knows that's the blocker. I, uh, I don't know. Like, the, the, what's the uh, K wing list that's been making the rounds in the UK? It's the four uh, uh, K wings with prox mines and barrage rockets. Like that. That adds the whole layer of blocking people onto prox mines, right? <laughs> it's a bit of a mess. Yeah, yeah, that's another one that I hadn't particularly thought of before. But yeah, K wings blocking with bombs also and medium like... base, right? So there's yeah. no escape. There's just no escape. That seems like a particularly good one. I mean, torrents we've talked about a bit. They're a ship. I feel like more and more I see it, they were designed just to be blockers. So, but what? Why is that though? Like what? Because like the dial's all screwy, which is it, it's slow, which is nice. But what what makes it's, it's the torrent good dial. blocker? Thing that makes right. me, thing that makes Torrent a good blocker is the linked barrel roll to evade. Like, I think it's just that. Like, the fact that you have pretty solid flexibility in where you put it, and then it's still going to get good defensiveness out of it, it's just going to take way too long to kill it, even if you're not getting that block in. So it just becomes like this two ship wall in front of your Jedi aces with regen. Right. Um, and it's weird because a lot of the lower initiative things don't have linked actions like that. Um, you know, like, like you don't, you think about a TIE fighter, right? Like it's just an academy pilot. Um, it would kill for the ability to do a linked evade role, right? Like that's, that would, that would fundamentally change the way that that thing works as a blocker. Yeah. But it gets a little more expensive, I guess. Yep, definitely. Any other ships we want to call out as being particularly good blockers that we don't see elsewhere? Yeah, just like so traditionally the jump master, the the scout was always viewed as a blocker. Um I was literally I, just about to jump in and say that. Go ahead, Andrew. <laughs> the jump masters. I mean, okay, so I wanna say that like not having um a white barrel roll anymore still hurts it, but I mean like I would be really interesting to see like a meta shakeout where the jump masters are um, 
like they almost become a man to man. You throw those informants on there, and then you could like literally just track things down and have that like barrel roll with a large base is just so huge. Right. I mean, so so the things that make blocking easier are things like sense informant. Snoke is ridiculously feels bad man for this. Um, Cassian crew is really dumb because you can just guess your opponent's move and then change it to make him bump. <laughs> um, and then there's like ion and intimidation. So I guess if you couple all that together with a jump master, like that, would we eventually see bump masters back? I it's so bad, but like, could you could you could you see bringing just a scout and a scum list to be the be the blocker? Yes. Okay. Um, I mean, like, so uh, it really like I I think the. The scout is still probably decent. I mean, what are they? How, how many points are they sitting at? Forty-six. Six, yeah. So uh, uh, maybe. I mean, like, if you put scout and informant at there, what it's fifty-one points. I, it might still be like decent. I don't know. Like that dial is so bad. I, it's, so, it's just a, it's a joke right now, right? right. But I mean. I mean, like, I've been playing a lot of the Jumpmaster within the past, like, two weeks just to, like, really kind of, like, f- not figure it out. Just to be like, is it as bad as everyone thinks it is? And uh, I have these swings where, yes, sometimes I feel like, yes, it absolutely is. And then I have these swings that I'm just like, there's some potential here. And and I'm, I don't know. It's maybe the scout isn't the one to look at. Maybe it's Manaru because it fits that role of... It has more than one job to do, so right, right. Well, it's also, but it is a big base ship with reposition, and that's really rare, right? right? Like it's, and and that's that's something that maybe it begins to fill that role just because it can barrel roll, right? I mean, like that's what's the the only other ship that can barrel roll is the um, twenty four hundred, yeah, and then the Sith, uh, the Sith of Vulture again, yeah, Vulture. So I, I yeah. mean, that's something to look at. What, well, that actually, I'm glad we brought up the infiltrator because um, any of these pre movement tricks actually just facilitates blocking in weird ways. Like the the, um, the 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 phantoms can block in different phases, right? So basically, you know, being able to to decloak, you can set up a block and then move, um, which is huge, right? So I, maybe cloaking device on a on a jump master becomes relevant. I mean, does that work? So you can get around all the stress somehow. Can you? You can't take it. A can't device. you transition it with uh, the Virago guy? Can, but I mean that's a very hefty <laughs> setup. I think uh, for a, a gimmick. Do you have to like invest in Java to do that? I, I not Java, but it's like you have to invest with a small base ship with a um, illicit slot and then switch swap it out. Basically, um, I got gotcha. you. Yeah, right. Right. Well, it, it's it can work. I mean, you could put it on a YV, which would be hilarious. But yeah, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it's fair. So, so one thing I did want to touch on, we kind of got to it briefly, um, is just the concept of blocking and how integral it is to bombs and and basically like keeping things close to to you know that 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 problem. So we have fuses coming, right? And fuses are have kind of that crazy timer on it. Um, 
so blocking might become a lot more relevant to keeping people within range of bombs um, than a little bit here. Sure. I feel like my new goal in life is to just block someone onto their own mine. <laughs> their big, big bomb, whatever it's called. Electro, proton, electro. Yeah. Proton. yeah, the electro, proto, dance, show, bomb. <laughs> it's reminded me of Ratchet and Clank. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I think my new goal in life is to just block someone under their own bomb for that. So, yeah. So on on the flip side of block, are there times when you may where it's not a good idea to block the enemy ship? Or I, I remember a lot in one at the end where you would block. You didn't actually want to block the opponent because you know Dengar would come in with K four security droid and expertise already fully modded, and he wanted to bump. Yeah, absolutely. I like so. So the, traditionally, the Tie Swarm always has that decision point of sending the one Academy pilot out on a blocking mission, right? And then you know you have to decide: is it is it better to do that or to have the chance at the Hal Runner modded shot that you might need? Um, I think it at lower initiatives it becomes more and more of a problem for you because it's like when I was running the Strikers, I I would have games where I caught like the sweetest block on half of my opponent's list, bumped their entire formation, right? But then I have I basically already lose a striker in that initial engage regardless to initiative kill. And now I have a striker that can't shoot anything. Um, so now I've I've given up two of my possible shots that game, and my opponent didn't give up any of their shots. So that, that becomes a serious problem. And I, 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 it's just really, it's like anything in X-Wing. You kind of have to, you have to really weigh the benefit and know if denying actions is really what you need in that situation or if you just need to trade. Um, so we talked about this with repositions, right? And arc dodging. Like sometimes you can get too fancy. You should just take a focus token. It's the inverse mm -hmm. of that with blocking. Sometimes you should just take a focus token, like sure. set up the range. Yeah, I mean, I know they've talked about it on Minox a little bit, but I know sometimes they say that, like, if you are setting up these intricate blocks, like, if it only really kind of pays off if you're, the rest of your list is really going to have the setup that they need to really benefit from that block. Like, if you're just blocking to block and then, like, the rest of your list is, you know, facing the other direction or not getting modded shots off, like... Is it even worth it at that point? Probably not. Like, um, it, you really want to set up these blocks to capitalize on what the objective is that you're trying to do with it. Yeah, and that's what makes it so cool because it's 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 only as useful as your overall strategy, right? And that means all of your ships have to be in on the game, right? Yep. And I think that it also brings up like a good idea when you're list building of. Like one of the things that changed back from the old days of Z95s and Han, you want to bring blockers that can also do something else. Like back to like the interceptor, tie interceptor example, like or even better, like the fangs for Jonathan, right? The I1 fangs do make good blockers, but they also can just put in good damage and not get killed. So I think thinking about it that way of bringing like a dual purpose ship of against certain things this will make a good blocker when i'm not playing against those things it still has use yeah absolutely um and i you know like certain factions have have pieces that are more capable of that than others um but it, like just kind of looping back to the vcx right if i take a lower initiative vcx like chopper 
that thing's dishing jam tokens out if I if I catch a block. Um, you know, so it's it's like maybe they had a target lock from the last turn, all that kind of stuff. Um, it's it, a lot of times it boils down to like this is the one control piece that every faction has, right? Every faction can block. Not every faction has Forlom, right? Forlom is we haven't touched on him, but Forlom's a hell of a blocker because you can do the advanced sensors trick, right? Um, and is that at a medium base? So, yeah, it's yeah. That's kind of why we were we were kind of rambling about the jump master, right? Because it's like maybe it can fit that role as long as it can also be a support piece. Yeah, definitely. Like uh, Forlom's like a beast of his own. Like the fact that he can, not, even if you don't meet that uh, advanced sensors like requirement, like he kind of puts this null zone around that. Like if you get too close to him, you know you're probably getting stressed, and it's almost a block in its own way like it's that the fact that like you're either going to be double stressed if you do the like the wrong maneuver too close to him or you know you might just eat it from like from him in general the, the fact that he can basically if he has something at range one that he's dishing out these stress tokens is a way different control piece in its own manner um but yeah i definitely agree with that forlom is like a beast in his own with it's just because he's he's like control on top of control, right? So you can if you land a block, you can also do some stress. It's like it's just all very yeah. interesting. It doesn't um, even the title give him a red barrel roll. So I mean, like that's even I don't is it a barrel or just a red barrel roll? Like, I think it, it does affect his repositioning. Yeah, um, it, it definitely gives him the barrel. I just don't remember if it's a no. It's just a it's a white barrel roll. But even still, I mean, like that's still huge for um, him in general. Yeah, so like a couple other things to touch on just before we round out the conversation, but um, I1 defenders are really good blockers and they get a focus evade for it. Um, and I, you know, reverse maneuvers are super weird and we're going to get more of that with the resistance shuttle. So, you know, Zach's point on having a ship that can block but also do something else. Like, I hate shuttles in all of their forms. They're uninteresting to me. But if they, you know, if they're in your list, like the escape craft, um, that that thing's value isn't just coordinating boba, right? It's its value is is you know just in taking up space, in some cases. And I I don't really know what to make of infinite reverse maneuvers. What that can do as far as blocking. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't know that we have all that sorted out yet. We need, we'll probably have a spoiler on resistance tomorrow, right? Hopefully, we still need that transport. I mean, do we? No, we don't. No, no. <laughs> um, absolutely not. Yeah, but I, so just to end on a positive note with this, though, is just like um, this. We've said it a couple times, but blocking really is like one of the most fun things you can do in X-wing. And if you don't see it that way, you probably just need to, you know, just intentionally do it a little more and experience it because it's it's cool. Yeah. Yep. Definitely another thing that I'd pass on to newer players: learn how to block. Absolutely. It'll yeah. Save your ace one day. <laughs> Don't learn the hard way either when you like come with a bunch of aces and then you get blocked and you're just like, what happened? <laughs> Where Unless you brought force users, right? Yeah. <laughs> I, I do have to throw this out there because I'm very opinionated about it, but I wish that force didn't work when you got blocked. I really do. Because I, I think it's just a. It's like if, if you actually caught Anakin on a block, I. 
But you deserve. He, it, Anakin deserves all the punishment he's going to get. You know what I mean? If you actually catch Anakin on a block, you deserve to die like a sand person. <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy, right? Like, I mean, just like these these ships are have so many toys already. Um, I, I don't understand why any force using Ace deserves to you know have the chance to modify its way out of of trouble there. Um, it just well, seems... I mean, you have to fully execute. What are we? Well, no, I don't even care about his abilities. It's just the force charges, man. Oh, sure, like that's, sure, sure. The, that's, that's what my, Yeah, like I, I think that really trivializes. Cause, and it's, I, I think the game... I'll say this for myself. I don't run lists without force users. I don't. Like, I, I stopped doing that uh, once I dropped the strikers, you know, the five-striker wampa list. Um, but I, like, it's just, it's such a uniquely powerful mechanic to 2.0. Um that I, I do think that, you know, if you, if you, Zach, you started this conversation with like, wh why are we not seeing so much of the blocking mechanics? Um, I think there's plenty now, but if over time 2.0 evolves away from it, it'll be because of stuff like that coordinate and force charges. Yep. That I um, agree with. And like, maybe that's something they could easily just change at some point if it gets too ridiculous. Like, that'd be a nice subtle way of like, you know, balancing all the force users slightly. You don't get your free mods. Definitely. Ooh. Oh, that that would be. I don't know. Uh, I'm saying this is a Kylo player too, right? Because I uh, lean hard into this. Like with Kylo, I just actively seek out bumping into stuff because I know that means it won't shoot at me, and I've got more time than they do. Um, which is, I that's just not how the game should work, right? Like, I should be okay with being bumped. <laughs> it's kind of the thing. Right, and I mean, it's kind of okay. It's essentially just like being like the airbender and just hiding behind your opponent who's trying to punch you no i get it but i mean like <laughs> as the aces player right like i don't need more advantages but that's a, it's a topic for another day it's just that this leads into it right because it's we work so hard to earn our blocks and then when you don't get the benefit it's it's uh i would say that's a negative experience you know um, i know you were saying this earlier zach but like the fact that we haven't needed to talk about blocks earlier is just the fact that uh, supernatural reflexes was around for so long that it was just like blocks didn't even matter so but here we are with that being like 30 something points yeah block yeah and come back yeah, yeah with that go ahead yeah with that with advanced sensors going up to 10 points like blocking should be coming back in and like like i said we've been seeing that with two torrents two jedis doing well at tournaments like two blockers ahead of two force user three dice ships is good yeah maybe we'll see a little more of that from uh you know from from every faction over time it it, it really should be like what the separatists do right like we're going to be getting those crazy tractoring self-tractoring ships soon those are probably going to be insane blockers um really excited to see how that changes separatists and kind of leans into this yeah they're going to be interesting to say the least um all right. Do we want to start closing out the episode? We have yeah. Think of uh, yeah. About blockers. We, we, we touched pretty much everything that we're going to. Yeah, we can block off the rest of the conversation. Oh. <laughs> oh. All right. Um, so to close out, I uh, let me just check this. I will edit some of this stuff in a minute. 
so we have some events coming up. We have June 22nd. There is an extended tournament at 7th Dimension. We'll keep more dates on that posted soon. And July 6th at Showcase. Uh, again, we don't have too much information on that, but we will. As soon as we have more information, we will relay that to everybody else. Um, if you are a fan of the show, uh, check us out on Patreon. Also, check us out on our Facebook page. The We have uh, two pages now, the Liberty Squadron podcast, and then the actual Liberty Squadron group is now uh, the from the old SJPA group. So check us out there. If you're not a part of us, join us. Joining the, like that's where all our big conversations happen, so uh, definitely check that out. Uh, other than that, I think anybody else have anything for the show? No, no. I'm all done. All yeah. right, guys. I want to thank everyone. For, yeah, we're back to our normal schedule. We're back to analyzing things, and we're back to doing the cool stuff that we do. So thanks for listening, and have a great night. Kick punch block. <laughs>